0: We are back. Shalom, Carolyn. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you, Abby?
0: Thank God. Doing well. Staying healthy. Dealing with the craziness of this world right now. And going back to talking about Israel with you and our new reality. The ICC is back getting active against us once again, I imagine empowered with a new Biden administration, something that I imagine they would not have done if Trump had been reelected. Uh, what do you have to say? What's going on?
1: Uh, no, they definitely were waiting until after the American elections in order to uh, move forward with their with their efforts to, uh, to criminalize Israel and to really call into question our, our moral right to exist. Uh, and so shortly after the election, they uh, made their, or shortly after Biden was uh, inaugurated and Trump was safely away, uh, the uh, judges sat down and and published their ruling that said that the uh, ICC prosecutor, who is herself an exceedingly corrupt person named Fatou Bensouda, uh, was allowed to go forward and have a formal inquiry into alleged uh, war crimes committed Uh by IDF soldiers and commanders and Israeli civilians, you know, under their interpretation of law for Jews, you know, they have a separate interpretation of law for Jews that is an invention of law for Jews uh, whose purpose is to criminalize Jews in Israel, uh, everybody who lives beyond the 1949 armistice lines, including in Jerusalem neighborhoods that have been built since 1967, let alone all of the communities in Judea and Samaria are war criminals. So you and I, all of us can be, our children, can be brought before the docks in the, you know, in the ICC and tried. Um, And, you know, this is just one aspect of it, but um, this is absolutely a star chamber. This is is a, a show trial that they want to put on um, and they're doing it for a lot of reasons, which you know I discuss in my article that's coming out in Israel Hayom tomorrow, um, and I'd be happy to share with you some of them. But I think the most important aspect of it is that we have to, that we need to understand, is that this this show trial, um, these allegations that are that are simply blood libels, uh, that were of course uh, congratulated, the the ICC was congratulated for its ruling by the Hamas movement, a terrorist organization, which. You know, its own covenant calls for the annihilation of all Jews throughout the world. Um, this this uh, move by the ICC uh, is an attempt to uh, undermine uh, Israel's existence. It's a it's a means to sort of reify, to give substance, to give practical application to the 1975 UN General Security Council Resolution 3379. Uh, that said, that Zionism, the Jewish national liberation movement, is a form of racism, and that, of course, was was uh, rolled back and canceled in 1991. Um, but the, but the idea behind it, the anti-Semitism at its heart, which is that Jews don't have a right to political freedom and self-determination, um, has you know become much more widespread and accepted uh, throughout the world. Um, certainly, in the UN, it resonates every single day in every single UN agency that scapegoats Israel, that puts out condemnations almost on a daily basis against the Jewish state over nothing. Um, and uh, at the EU, in the European Union, where Israel suffers from systemic uh, talking about systemic racism in the United States, which is a lie. Uh, the systemic racism or, or bigotry, anti-Jewish bigotry at the U, at the European Union is a fact. Um, and then the way that Israel is uh, is uh, negatively stereotyped and uh, and attacked by the international left, whether in the United States or in Israel or in Europe, uh, including with the, with the support of the Israeli left um, and, and throughout and throughout the Western world. So what what the ICC, with the ICC decision to go forward uh, with a, with the a war crimes, Uh, inquiry or investigation into Israeli soldiers and commanders and civilians is that uh, the purpose of this, the purpose of trying to try Israeli citizens and and military forces, is to indeed um, take action to say that Israel must not be treated as a nation among the nations, that we have to get special treatment, that we have to be specially uh, uh, discriminated against. And the practical effect of this is going to be to legitimize Hamas and, and Iran and, and the PLO and their efforts to physically annihilate the Jewish state. So this is a very, very significant move. It's a very negative move. It's and it's an, as Prime Minister Netanyahu said, it's a the it's a move is is a is an act of pure anti Semitism.
0: And interestingly enough, if I'm not mistaken, one of the biggest supporters, I think financially, uh, of the ICC is Germany. And the German foreign ministry actually is one of the countries that has come out against denouncing the ICC's ruling last week that they have jurisdiction because they said, wait a second, this isn't right. There is no official state called Palestine and the ICC is only allowed to deal with official states. So how do you think that that, 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 that that would make an impact at all or make no impact whatsoever?
1: It's as if you read my, my article before it was published when you say that because, uh, I, you know, Germany has a specific role here. It's not just Germany, of course, it's many of the states of Europe. It's, it's Denmark or Sweden, Holland, Switzerland, uh, France, Britain, Germany. Um, and others that have uh, been directly involved in this. So we can look at the ICC and say that as an institution, it has an organizational interest in pursuing and persecuting uh, Jews in Israel because um, until uh, Bensouda submitted her request to the court in December, 2019, um, she started a a preliminary, not informal investigation of Israel. I don't remember the exact term for it uh, in 2015. and the reason that she did this and the reason that she's pursuing is it was not simply because the Arabs want her to do it or, or, or the international left wants. It's because the ICC needs to go after somebody who is an African. In 2017, the uh, the African Union announced or passed a resolution calling for member states to withdraw their signature from the Rome Statute, which sets up the International Criminal Court and, and withdraw from membership in the court because it it was reasonably alleged that the ICC was discriminating specifically against African nations and it was because really it's a weak organization and the only states they can risk going after they have to be weak because if they tried to go after you know Syria or China or North Korea for war crimes which of course they all commit um they, they would be facing a Russian uh, a Russian uh, boycott or a Chinese boycott or what have you and a funding cutoff from, from a lot of states. So they would never go after a state that's actually powerful. Instead, they went after weak African nations like the, like the Gambia, Burundi, and others so that for, when the African Union passed the resolution in 2017, nine out of 10 active cases before the ICC were related to Africa. So they needed a scalp that wasn't African. And, you know, so for them, Israel was the best option because we're not African um, and we look European enough. Well, you know, the leaders of this country, many of them are white and therefore you look European, you can you can get discriminated against Israel's weak. We don't have any, you know, aside from the United States, uh, all of the Europeans are, are cool with going after the Jewish state. Um, China, you know, is cool with uh, people going after the Jewish state, so is Russia. So they don't run into any flack. We're diplomatically very weak because of the support that the Europeans and the left give to uh, those who want to annihilate us. Um, And uh, so we we were the most reasonable victim. And, of course, the ICC statute was written by the Arabs in 1998 in such a way to make Israel, to make it easy to criminalize Israel by setting up a standard that was specific for Israel to push for war crimes. So that's the ICC. But of course, none of this could happen. The ICC would have been free to pursue this for, again, for its own organizational interests if it weren't for Germany and other states of Europe specifically. Um, and that's true on three levels, all of which uh, you know really speak to German specific and also European general culpability for what's happening now and responsibility for what's happening now. Um, the first, you know, because the the ICC could never have done any of this on its own. It needed three things to happen, three forces to come uh, into sort of alignment in order for them to be able to go after Israel. The first thing they needed was for uh, the Palestinian Authority to be presented, to, to be able to have credibility when they claim that they're a state member of the ICC, when they're not a state. So it's self-evident that the Palestinian Authority cannot uh, cannot be considered a state because it isn't one. So they had to develop a legal fiction. So to do this, um, when the Palestinian Authority, uh, in material breach of all of the agreements that are signed with Israel, uh, applied for membership in the Rome Statute, um, it uh, that had to be voted on. And... Uh, And that was, of course, a breach of international law because they're not a state and therefore by the statute's own reading, uh, they had no right to be accepted as a state. But the members of the ICC voted and a very large majority of the state members of the ICC, I don't remember what it was, uh, voted in favor of the Palestinian authorities' fake application for membership as a state. But that still wasn't convincing enough because yeah. the the Europe the UN didn't accept that Palestine is a state. So then they had to, in 2012, apply for membership as a non-member uh, state in the UN, like the Vatican. And then, again, you had to have a vote in the GA. And, again, a, a very, very large majority, the automatic Arab majority in the GA, voted for that. But among the people who voted for it, Uh, among the countries that voted for it were several European Union countries. And then, you know, there were also the states of the European Union that abstained. So France, for instance, voted in favor of it, and the Germans and the Brits voted uh, to abstain. So that means that they enabled it. They didn't oppose it. Um, And all of the states that supported, that voted on behalf or voted in favor of the Palestinian authorities baseless, Application for membership as a state at the uh, at the International Criminal Court, and then subsequently voted in favor or abstained from their baseless application for non-member state status at the United Nations. Uh, were very knew exactly what they were doing. They knew that this entire thing was done in order to enable uh, the ICC to pursue fake war crimes against Israel, and they did it, and they did it willingly, and they didn't oppose it at all. So that you didn't have any European states except for the Czech Republic, who voted against uh, mem- who voted against upgrading the Palestinian Authority's membership of the UN, and it was on the basis of those two moves that they said that uh, that war crimes allegations against Israel, which is not a member state of the I- ICC, which never signed the statute, never ratified the statute. Um, that Israel could be tried, even though it wasn't sent to them by the Security Council wasn't, and Israel wasn't a state. So they made up this legal fiction that Palestine is a state. And all of these European countries, including Germany, either voted on behalf of it or they failed to oppose it. The second thing that they needed to do in order to you know, push forward with this baseless war crimes, uh, slander against the Jewish uh, state and its Jewish citizens is they needed to um, get proof, they needed to get testimony, they needed to have names, because you don't try a country before the ICC, you know, uh, Bosnia or or Serbia wasn't on trial, that you had Milosevic, the, the former president of Serbia was on trial, and so on and so forth with all of the African leaders that they went after. So you need to have names of soldiers, you need to have names of commanders and you need to have names of, of civilians who you're going to move forward with. And so here, uh, the, the groups that were most responsible for this were uh, European funded, uh, non-governmental organizations registered in Israel and the Palestinian Authority. Many of them as NGO monitor, very important website everybody should look at, You know, they documented that a lot of these uh, efforts to provide testimonies of, uh, uh, of victims or crimes of perpetrators were specifically um, were specifically contracted by European states. That is, European states went to Israeli and Palestinian registered NGOs and said, "Here, we're going to give you, you know, three hundred thousand euros if you can make the if you can provide proof." That the Israeli Supreme Court can't be trusted to try allegations, so they put together all of these reports that were made to order uh, by the Europeans. The Europeans were very much uh, producing this; they did it on purpose. They did it, you know, they did it in order to harm Israel to put together this this show trial of Israelis. It's very much a European operation. It's very important to understand that. So that these testimonies and you know under scrutiny. We see there are three main Israeli organizations that are involved with this. It's breaking the silence, Betzelum and um Yeshdin. And any time that their allegations against IDF soldiers have been scrutinized, subjected to scrutiny, and they're usually anonymous, uh, that is the people who are giving these uh, these claims are are not are anonymous. They've been found to be utterly false. For instance, we have uh, several uh, tank soldiers f- who served during uh, Operation Cast Lead, I think it was, or no, uh, Protective Edge in 2014, in Gaza, uh, and they're suing one of the activists in uh, in Breaking the Silence and the organization itself for slander and libel because they found that all of the allegations that this supposed witness to Israeli war crimes. Had, had signed in his in his testimony, which is not legal, but whatever, before breaking the silence and then was used as a propaganda tool against the IDF and against Israel and against Israeli civilians, uh, all of his claims were false. And he even said that they were false. And he even said that breaking the silence exaggerated the things that he said. So he's being sued along with breaking the silence by Ad Khan, a, a civil society organization that protects Israel from these egregious allegations being placed by these anti-Israel, Israel uh, registered NGOs, and they're all funded by Europe. Breaking the silence gets hundreds of thousands of euros a, a year from Germany, and they have an office in Berlin. So you know that's, for instance. And then the third way that they're able to do this is that um, so they have. I'm sorry. They have. Uh, they have the. Uh, just let me re- let me recap for myself. So they have uh, the. Uh, the uh, fake testimony. They have the fake Palestinian. Uh, they have the fake Palestinian uh, uh, statehood thing, right? right? And then the ICC itself. So when the ICC uh, opened up its preliminary investigation against Israel, I think it was in 2015. Um, Israel said to all of the states that are funding the ICC, stop funding it, divest from the ICC because they wouldn't be able to do this. Um, without their budget. So uh, defund them because this is this is obscene, this is an obscenity. This is a, an abrogation of the very concept of international law, not to mention war crimes when you're going after a country that did nothing wrong, committed no crime, uh, is being hounded and persecuted by, by these politicians in legal robes. And none of them would. So the Europeans, the European Union member states, Uh, fund more than 60% of the uh, ICC budget. And uh, Germany is generally either the top or the second to the top donor funder of the ICC. So the German government responded to Israel's request six years ago saying that they wouldn't even imagine, it was unimaginable that they would defund the ICC, which brings us to Heiko Mass's, the German foreign minister's statement, after uh, Saturday's ruling by the ICC judges that they were going to give permission to proceed with these slanderous war crimes uh, allegations against Israeli soldiers, commanders, and civilians, so he said, and this is this is amazing. He said uh, because he didn't he didn't have any pro- first of all what he said was that because Palestine is not a state, the ICC doesn't have jurisdiction over. Right. Anything uh, that happens in in uh, Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, and whatnot, and in Gaza. All right, so this is interesting for two reasons. One is because the uh, the the German the German uh, the Federal Republic of Germany abstained in votes regarding upgrading uh, uh, Palestinian status at the UN and accepting it as a uh, state party to the ICC. So they didn't oppose this, right? Um, they enabled it to happen. So now they're saying that, um, you know, something that they didn't oppose is wrong. Why didn't they oppose it then at the time? What, what about consistency here? This is absurd, you know, Germany didn't go against it. Of course, Germany is funding all of these efforts as well. They, again, they're, not, they're, they're, they're significant funders to the Israeli and the Palestinian NGOs. And by the way, three out of four of the major Palestinian NGOs that are uh, involved with this are attached to the uh, PFLP uh, terrorist organization. The EU and Israel and the U.S. all define the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine as terrorist organization and they're funding these NGOs that are subordinate to the PFLP leadership. That is, they're they're part and parcel of the PFLP. So they're also funding terrorists in order to advance these things. And so uh, Heiko Maas comes out and says it's not legal but the, the Germans themselves are behind this entire thing. And the other aspect of it that's really obscene is that it's true it's not legal. And that is the formal argument for why this shouldn't be happening. But the actual argument for why none of this should be happening is because it's absurd. Because Israel didn't break any laws. Because Israel because this is an anti-Semitic act in order who, that is aimed at denying or rolling back international recognition of the Jewish state and its right to exist as a moral actor and as a normal state in the community of nations, and they're doing this. Uh, they're doing this uh, with the enthusiastic support of terrorist organizations and terrorist regimes that seek openly the annihilation of Israel physically. So, um, so they have not a word. Heiko Maas didn't say anything about the egregious nature of. Of the, of the persecution of Israel, of this uh, quasi-legal uh, lawfare that's taking place against Israel with express political purpose of undermining its right to exist. That he didn't have a problem with. He didn't say a word about that. And how could he, of course, because Germany is behind much of this. So I, I think, you know, and that speaks to the actual game that's going on here, right? Because in the past, because what we've seen really since World War II with the Germans, it, first and foremost, but also with other European countries, is that they remain exceedingly anti-Semitic, exceedingly hostile to Jews. But you know, after Auschwitz, they can't admit it publicly. So they go through extraordinary lengths to uh, to simultaneously disavow anti-Semitism and advance it and pursue it and 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 and. Uh, and uh, and cause it to to, to influence uh, the state of Israel, the Jewish state, to harm it. And so, you know, for instance, the Bundestag passed a law, I think, prohibiting um, BDS activities uh, in Germany, and yet the German government is funding BDS activities directly. Right. So that they, on the one hand, they say it's illegal, and on the other hand, they're doing it all over the world, in, including in Germany. And they're funding it through taxpayer uh, euros, you know, uh, uh, from Germans. So, uh, you know, this is just, this is a double game that we've been subjected to. And it's really, it's really ironic, we're not ironic, it's, it's notable because, you know, this whole idea that anti-Zionism isn't anti-Semitism is exposed as a, as a total lie when you look at what's happening at the ICC. And, and some of the main people have been promoting this all along since, you know, back since 1967 really have been Germans. It's been the, the East European, I mean, East German government and uh, the the left in uh, what was then West Germany uh, that have been promoting this, which is why you had open support for uh, the PLO and Palestinian terrorists. And uh, uh, and in fact, uh, cooperation, operational cooperation between Bayer Minehouse Meinhof uh, terrorists in the 1970s uh, from western Europe, from western germany with uh, PFLP and other PLO terrorists whether it's at the Entebbe raid or whether it's in the Munich massacre and in other terrorist uh, attacks against israeli jews so i want to i want to
0: go across the ocean to america because a mm-hmm. lot of people in israel and a lot of officials came out thanking the Biden administration, for their official statement after the ICC decision, right? And I'm just going to read some of it here. Uh, Again, this is the official opposing international criminal court attempts to affirm territorial jurisdiction over the Palestinian situation. That's the press statement from the State Department, right? We have, unquote, we have serious concerns about the ICC's attempts to exercise its jurisdiction over Israeli personnel. Okay? That's basically the, the wording of this U.S. State Department and everyone's thanking the, the Biden administration for that. However, when I look at that statement from the U.S. Biden administration saying we have concerns versus Germany's official statement, the court has no jurisdiction because of the absence of the element of Palestinian statehood required by international law. Is it just me or is there a difference in, in, in a sense of weakness in the Biden administration's response to this.
1: No, I think you have, an actual, uh, you have it absolutely right. And it's interesting. It's too bad I hadn't paid attention to that distinction. I wouldn't mention it in my article, but um, you're absolutely right. And, and I think it's even more revealing when you compare the Biden administration's uh, uh, non-condemnation condemnation uh, to the statements that were made by uh, 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 Trump administration uh, officials, whether it's, uh, then National Security uh, Advisor John Bolton, who addressed specifically the ICC and its political nature and its illegitimacy under American law um, and its persecution of Israel, uh, specifically, or whether you're looking at statements and actions that were undertaken by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo beginning in 2019 uh, to sanction to sanction uh, uh, ICC personnel. This was actually I think in early 2020 after Ben Souda, uh, uh requested formal uh, permission from the ICC judges uh, to go after Israel on a formal basis and it also had to do with uh, her efforts to criminalize American soldiers for actions that they undertook during the war in Afghanistan. So you know, when you compare the statements by the Biden administration to the statements by the Trump administration and the actions by the Trump administration, we have cause for worry about what the Biden administration is likely to do. And and I don't think that it would surprise anybody if I I were to wager that the Biden administration's backing of Israel is going to be less than uh, fulsome. And, And here I think it's important to note that his statement, now that you've read it out to me, was actually weaker than the positions that were taken by the Obama administration regarding uh, the ICC. Wow! And I think that, that that sort of shows, you know, that the endpoint of the of the Obama administration was exceedingly anti-Israel. That was when they abstained from the UN Security Council resolution that said that uh, Israeli presence in uh, in uh, Judea and Samaria is a gross is a gross uh, is a gross violation of international law. Which of course it isn't. Um, that they're starting from that point, that they are like, you know, Europe, they are embracing the idea that there's something inherently evil about Zionism and that they're not supportive of Israel, that they have things that they have to do on behalf of Israel because it's just the way it is, but they're not, but but they really oppose Israel. I think we've talked about this in the past with some of uh, his key appointments in, in, at the National Security Council, at the State Department that are Sort of, uh, we actually we
0: haven't touched upon it yet. We can. I mean, I thought we'd do that again another episode because there have been a, a growing each day. There are more and more appointments. Uh, I don't have the names in front of me. I did not prepare to talk well, about I mean, that right
1: now. Matthew Duss is apparently going to be receiving some sort of State Department uh, appointment, and he has a long record of virulent anti-Semitism in his actions and statements that he's made over the years in various functions, whether it's at the uh, Center for American Progress. Or as Bernie Sanders' foreign policy advisor, this guy is an anti-Semite. There's absolutely no question about it. And I don't know what his position is going to be. Bob Malley, who's the special envoy for U.S. Iran, you know, he he uh, was kind of booted off of the Iran of the Obama foreign policy team for for the first years of the Obama administration because it was exposed that he had had direct dealings with Hamas terrorists. Uh, he's it's the same thing, by the way, with Hezbollah. Um, he's very pro-Iran, he's very, very, very hostile to Israel, and he's now responsible for leading American negotiations for the Iran nuclear deal, which is something we're going to talk about. And the last person that's just worth mentioning is Mahir Bittar, who was named the Senior Director for Intelligence at the National Security Council, and I and, and in many ways I consider his appointment to be the most uh, alarming and dangerous because Mahir Bitar. Mahir Bitar uh, is responsible for uh, the president's daily intelligence briefing. And he gets to decide what information the president of the United States is going to see. He wow. gets to decide um, what information the United States is going to share with its allies. He gets to order the U.S. intelligence community to, you know, what, what its priorities are supposed to be for intelligence gathering and so on and so forth. And this is a guy who is uh, a BDS activist. He is uh, during his time as a as a undergrad and I think a, grad, a law student at Georgetown. He was the head of the uh, Students for Palestine uh, on campus. He ran a conference in two thousand and six for uh, you know BDS Day or whatever, where he was talking about how to how to insinuate uh, BDS activists in evangelical G- Christian communities to get them to stop supporting Israel and how they should talk to evangelical Christians in order to get them to. Uh, oppose Israel and abandon their support for Israel. He got a uh, uh, master's from um, from uh, I think the London School of Economics or some uh, university, maybe Oxford. Anyway, in Britain, in uh, forced migration studies, and he wrote about the so-called Nakba, which is the uh, the day that Israel was established. He then went on to work for UNRWA in their Jerusalem office before joining the Obama administration. So this is a really this is a, a an enemy of Israel. This is somebody who who does not believe that Israel has a right to exist. And he is now the senior director for intelligence at the National Security Council. So I actually think that his his appointment is a strategic threat to Israel from an intelligence gathering and sharing perspective. And it makes you have to really look uh, sideways at uh, both information that the Biden administration can be sharing with Israel and also uh, at the question of how much uh, intelligence about sensitive issues, in particular Israel, can uh, safely share with this administration. So, you know, this is a strategic, this is a strategic hit that we've already absorbed from the Biden administration, just in terms of personnel. So, again, just going back to the ICC very quickly, with these kinds of people now manning key positions uh, in relations to both uh, general foreign affairs. And uh, and security uh, policies of the Biden administration, specifically geared towards Israel, I think that you know uh, we we shouldn't be alarmed really that Biden hasn't spoken yet with Prime Minister Netanyahu since assuming office. I think that it's probably for the best because it's not at all clear what we have to talk about with them at this point. Wow, and so so I just
0: want to follow up on that official Biden administration statement. Because, again, a lot of people in Israel came out saying, thank you. See, the Biden administration is supportive of Israel. Can you how are we supposed to look at it and what should we what should we be expect? Should we be be expecting the Biden administration to come down with a hammer on Israel all the time? Or should we expect things like this where they give the words that make it seem they're supportive? Well, whereas in all actuality, they're actually supporting this direction.
1: Well, I think it's very similar. We should be expecting to get an American uh, uh, policy or treatment of Israel that's very similar to Europe, where you have constant protestations of support and friendship for Israel. You know, and our our uh, what did uh, what did Obama say we have Israel's back while he was actively stabbing Israel in the back? I think they are going to see things like that. So, for instance, we had, an ad, and I think that they're going to do things that are that are geared towards allowing them to use Israel as a beast to legitimize various act or various actions that are that are deeply hostile to Israel. So I'll give you an example. Um, two, two weeks ago or last week I can't remember when when the word started getting out about Maher Bitar's hatred of Israel um, and his record, his record of past actions to to undermine Israel's right, right to exist uh, through BDS. Uh, right as those stories were coming out, um, you had a Mother Jones and then later NBC News art, uh, story that came out calling into question the loyalty of the deputy national security advisor for cyber, whose name I don't remember. I think it's Newberger, who is an Orthodox Jewish woman. And because she comes from a wealthy family, they have a family foundation that gave a lot of money to APAC. And so you had anonymous Anonymous White House sources, that is people inside of the administration who are calling her loyalty to the United States into question because she supports uh, a lobby that uh, does nothing more than uh, support the alliance between Israel and the United States. This is not supposed to be, this is an alliance, by the way, that's supported by the vast majority of Americans. So she didn't do anything illegal. She didn't do anything untoward. She didn't do anything out of the ordinary for an American Jew, certainly, and certainly not for an American, because most Americans are very supportive of Israel and of America's uh, alliance with the Jewish state. Um, but they you had these anonymous sources who were casting doubt and aspersions on her loyalty to the United States wow. because she's pro-Israel. And then what could you get? Then you have, after you have anonymous administration officials who are casting aspersions on her, you had a very full-throated condemnation of such allegations and support for her uh, by uh, by the White House. And then at the same time, you had calls by progressive American Jewish organizations saying that just as we support Newberger's appointment, so we support Mahir uh, Bitar, and uh, we say that any allegations against him are casting aspersions on loyal american citizens just like she's a loyal american citizen so is wow. he And just as he can you know she can be uh credentialed or, or or judged uh you know fairly and or whatever uh so can he so that they use i believe and i and you know i think it's very clear that the that that the red herring that they threw out against her was a means to legitimize him so you're going to see a lot of that too where that you have you know Ostensibly pro-Jewish, pro-Israel positions being put out, but they're being put out in order to legitimize uh, viscerally uh, and viciously uh, anti-Semitic personnel uh, and probably actions by the by the administration going forward.
0: Wow! All right, that's that's scary stuff. All right, let's 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 jump to the next issue. We are uh, uh, we are going from one kangaroo court to another one. I think the impeachment trial of an ex-president. What what do you have to say about what's going on, Carolyn, in the Senate right now?
1: I, I think I think uh, you know I had frankly I haven't had a chance to follow this very closely because you know whatever, um, but I think that what what's notable really is the effort uh, and Tucker Carlson talked about it in his opening. I saw it this morning and it was from last night. Um, that, uh, you know, so much of what's been reported about what happened on Capitol Hill on January 6th works out it's just not true. Um, nobody really, you know, there were five people who died that day and four of them were, were Trump supporters. Um, and, and, and only one of them was, was uh, killed uh, as a result of violent activity by Capitol uh, Hill police. Uh, and then there was a, a, a police officer, Capitol Hill police officer. Uh, I think it's sick I think his name was. And the media had been putting out the story that he was bludgeoned to death by Trump supporters with a with a fire extinguisher, but nobody has been charged with that. No charges are are pending, um, and they're hiding the autopsy results. But apparently, there was no indication that he had died as a result of any wounds that he sustained he was a Trump supporter and he texted his uh, brother from his office after he went back uh, after the events of that day, uh, saying that you know he had been pepper sprayed twice, but he was fine. you know, he didn't say that he had been uh, bludgeoned by an, a fire extinguisher and he apparently died of a stroke. Uh, and uh, so that that's pretty amazing because his death has been the means to say that the Trump supporters who were on Capitol Hill that day, uh, were violent insurrectionists. And um and so to the extent that he wasn't killed by them, either by a sharp instrument like a fire extinguisher or anything else, uh, there is no case to be made that there was uh that there was lethal violence being used by Trump supporters uh on the Hill. And and that's important because what we're really seeing with the coverage of the event at the Hill on January 6th is that it's being used uh, to uh, weaponize um, the FBI and other uh, law enforcement agencies in the United States against Trump supporters as Trump supporters. And, um, you know, people Bank of America was giving credit card data to, uh, to the FBI about uh, receipts of their customers who were in Washington, D.C. On uh, January 6th, and the days leading up to it, some uh, grandmother was uh, investigated. She had an uh, FBI agent come to her home uh, to investigate her, and she hadn't either been on, you know, inside of the Capitol or done anything except to, uh, legally protest, uh, you know, participate in this protest. So, these are things that are happening in the United States. I don't think that there's precedent for them you know, and that goes along with a lot of the things that the Biden administration is doing with his 50 executive orders that he signed, you know, in no time flat, um, that uh, they really amount to attempt to very quickly uh, transform the United States into something that we've never seen before, where people who oppose you politically are, are being denounced, uh, obviously canceled, fired from their jobs, um, and they didn't commit any crimes. And, and, um, and their only their only uh, infraction is that they don't agree they're not progressive. So, you know, a lot of the people, and, and the media, of course, is playing a role in this. They're pushing Americans to snitch on their neighbors if they were, if they know that they were at, uh, in Washington on January 6th. So a number of people lost their jobs in the aftermath of that. U.S. A. Today put out a thing saying, uh, send us pictures. Uh, send us the the names and the addresses of people who were in the Capitol. It's very important. It's very important. I mean, this is Soviet uh, behavior. And like this nurse's assistant at a, at a Boston area hospital was outed by her daughter, who's a woke progressive on Twitter. And shortly thereafter, and she didn't do anything. She wasn't even at the Capitol on January 6th. She was there on January 5th. And her daughter found out about it because there was a film of her mother getting hit in the face by a police officer at this protest that took place the night before. Um, and so the daughter outed her mom and her mother was fired from the hospital. She said, I don't think I'm going to be able to get another job in this area. You know, and, and and she didn't do anything wrong. So this is all the kind of behavior that you're seeing, you know, now playing out in the United States. This behavior that we see in totalitarian states and in communist states like China and and, and Russia And it's very, it's it's gotta be disturbing to anybody who cares about the United States. Um, Yesterday, the New York Times read an article that the French are freaked out because wokeism is coming to France and they're saying that it it poses an existential danger to France. It empowers Islamists. It calls basically for the undermining and ungluing of French society as a coherent society. Of course, it's doing the exact same thing in the United States. so, uh, yeah, what we're watching is very frightening. And, and depending on the results of Israel's elections, it could very easily happen here as well if we don't get a solid right wing coalition running the country.
0: Right. Listen, I'm looking at a Times, Times Magazine headline right now. Capital riot fuels calls for domestic war on terror. Basically, the calls for the FBI to be treating all Trump supporters as domestic terrorists in america and i actually i actually was v- following this closely i was on top of the Capitol riots as it was happening and and in the aftermath watching a lot a lot of video footage and there is a lot of question marks because i've seen video footage of of police officers standing down supporter trump supporters calling him do something do something they're using they, they're they're trying to break down and uh, break down windows or whatever and the police doing nothing standing there right. in riot here doing nothing I saw footage of of police officers opening the doors to the Capitol building, and one police officer saying, "I guess I do not know whether they knew they were being filmed or not." Saying, "I disagree with this. I don't know who told you we, but uh, I don't know why, why there's permission to do this." But I disagree with this as he opened the doors and allowed a storm of people of uh, walk through. I've seen video footage of people on the inside of the Capitol building giving weapons or or stuff to people outside. Of the Capitol building through windows to then use and use in, in violence. So uh, to me, there are so many question marks. It is not. Ch- I mean, I, I've been saying very clearly: anyone who's involved in violence, regardless, right, left, big, brown, I don't care what, white, should be punished, right? But it looks like most of the people there went along because there was there was instigation of individuals there. To me, they look like Antifa people from all the video footage I've seen, as individuals were instigating, and you have a lot of Trump supporters who walked in. Not that it was planned, not that it was some insurrection, but a lot more questions, and it's very daunting to see that now the narrative is that any Trump supporter should be labeled as a domestic terrorist and that the U.S. uh, intelligence agencies should be weaponized to go after them as domestic terrorists.
1: I agree with you. Look, I think, um, you know, from from people I know on the ground, you know, have been talking to about it, the QAnon people are nuts, and they are conspiracy theorists. And by the way, they are very anti-Semitic. Um, and they have this crazy idea that's based upon a pedophilia ring and an insider inside of the uh, intelligence uh, agencies communities that was you know like Trump's guy, and they were all they're going to bring the whole thing down. I mean, and that's where it started from. It started from these these a- allegations and also this hope that there was an insider, there was you know our guy inside of uh, the CIA or the FBI or whatever who was working secretly uh in a super duper three-dimensional chess game with uh, president trump and the weird thing about these people is that it should have been clear when uh biden won and was inaugurated and no actions were taken against anybody who was involved with trying to under overthrow the trump administration through you know extra legal means through lying to the fisa courts and you know and 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 building up and trumpeting these uh fake Uh, russia collusion allegations for years and then moving on to the ukraine issue which was really as my friend lee smith wrote and i think convincingly was about protecting biden and shielding him as the as, as the leading candidate and the candidate of choice by the democratic leadership uh for the for the nomination so i think you know you're you're seeing this kind of um uh, uh, and nothing, no action was taken against them. And in fact, the the person who was indicted, the only person who was indicted, was an attorney at the Justice Department, Kevin Klein Smith, who actually wrote a fake uh, a fake uh, uh, letter to the FISA court. Um, under you know, it was, it was an official letter. I would assume it's under under uh, there was a sworn letter. Uh, but anyway, it was legally binding. It was a fake letter about Carter Smith, the Trump <clears throat> campaign advisor, that they were trying to say was an agent of Russia, and therefore used him as a predicate for the entire uh, the entire witch hunt, which led nowhere. Um, and so the point is, none of none of these people had anything done to them, and they would have thought that after all of this happened, and nobody paid a price for it, that the QAnon people would have realized that everything that they had been spoon fed by these crazy people who were writing all of these theories was a lie, and that there was nothing for them to do, and and that and that it wasn't true that there was no insider and there was no Trump three dimensional chess. It was just a, it was just a fantasy, and they would have stopped. But it, you know, they were actually, from what I understand, from people who who you know like Trump, not from people who don't like Trump. Uh, that that they were very major forces involved with what happened at the Capitol. Having said that, I think it's important to note uh, that what happened at the Capitol was in in the main, it wasn't violent. There were people who were doing violent things. and um, but, but the idea that it was an act of insurrection, I think it's a little bit weird. Although having said that, I don't know what the statute is. I would assume that it's broad enough to put anything underneath that and they were, Conceivably, you could make the argument that they were interfering with the business of the government. I mean, there are, the point really isn't so much what the statute says and what you can get people on. It's why would you want to? Because, again, you know, everybody points at it. And it's important to point out the obvious hypocrisy of all of this. Because, you know, as as un, as untoward and as unacceptable as the, as the actions of all the people, whether violent or nonviolent, in cap, uh, uh, inside of uh, the Capitol building was on January 6th. You know, it was nothing in comparison to the five months of rioting, the violent riots that took place from one end of the United States to the other uh, with the active support and encouragement of democratic leaders, including Kamala Harris, Uh, that was undertaken by Antifa and Black Lives Matter criminals. That was a true insurrection, I think.
0: Right. Yeah. Again, again, the scary thing is, I mean, so many question marks out there. But anyone who actually did something should obviously be punished, regardless right wing extremists, left wing extremists, obviously. But it's the fact that it's being used to go after half of America and label them (laughs) and delegitimize them. (laughs)
1: I, I'll actually go one, one better or more, more extreme in the sense that I think that unless you're going to be going after the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement and Antifa and treating them as terrorists, which the Trump administration incidentally tried to do with Antifa, but I don't think it went anywhere because the Justice Minister Ministry or Justice Department slow-walked the entire thing, but if you're not going after them, for you know, uh, attacking a federal courthouse and doing all the rest of this stuff, then I don't think that, as a practical matter, you can make a case that it's reasonable to enforce the law against the people on January sixth. I know that other people would probably disagree with that, but my sense is that if you're if you're prejudicially uh, uh, enforcing the law only against one group and not against the other group, then uh, this we have that in Israel all the time. By the way, right. in uh, in discriminatory. Uh, enforcement or application of the laws towards Netanyahu on the one hand and not towards Yair Lapid for identical actions, um, then then you make a mockery of the rule of law and you undermine public support for the basic foundations of your democratic system. You're getting a lot of that in the United States, and I think it's very dangerous.
0: Right. Carolyn, always a pleasure talking to you and hearing your insights, even if it's not always the best news but listen this is our reality and it's important hearing hearing your take on it because uh, it's it's not uh, it's not being shared in most uh media sources that people read and listen to so thank you
1: thank you and um, you know i think it's really important to keep talking about you know the things that aren't being talked about enough in the media i think it's important to uh make people aware of what's happening because obviously any effective action against you know, what's happening in the ICC, what's happening, we didn't talk about it so much, what's happening in the Persian Gulf, what the Americans are doing towards Iran and enabling their, you know, uh, uh, their mad dash to the nuclear finish line uh, while, uh, while undermining the uh, position and, of, and the very survival, really, in Saudi Arabia's case, uh, of their sensible allies. Um, all of these things are important to know and people can read about it because we're not going to discuss it today, but I wrote about it uh, at length in my Newsweek article that came out yesterday that you can see on my website, probably I'll put it up tomorrow. Um, And uh, I also wrote about it last week in in Israel Hayom and you can obviously read about the ICC uh, and my thoughts on that in my article that's coming out tomorrow as well in Israel Hayom. So I think, you know, it's important for people to be, really understanding what's going on, what stands behind much of what's happening. And um and because only only by understanding it are we going to be able to act effectively. I don't know what we're gonna do. Um right. don't get me wrong, I don't have any clear answers about what, what can be done, uh, given the results of the election um in the United States. But first and foremost, I think what Israelis have to do is ensure that we have a strong right-wing government that's going to be able to meet the challenges that we face, because anything less is really going to put us in jeopardy as well.
0: Right, right. Agreed, one hundred percent. Carolyn, stay healthy, you and your family, and uh, until you. next time.
1: Until next time. Take care. Have a great day,
0: everyone. And everyone, thank you so much for watching. And uh, another episode of uh, the Carolyn and Avi show here in our eternal and ancestral homeland of the Jewish people. Take care, everyone. Host of Israel. Frontline videos from the Holy Land. Support our work by donating today.